Because we're down your way. We're always down your way. Because we're down your way. I'm always down your way. Hello and welcome to Downs Your Way. This is episode 15 and I'm Colin Speller. And today I have once again the lady herself with me. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. That was a big hello. It was a big hello. Mm. Surprisingly big hello. The purpose of today is to pick up some of the questions that were raised by our wonderful supporter base. We love you. Uh, at the live stream last Friday night that we either didn't get a chance to answer, or I say we, Rebecca didn't get a chance to answer, or uh, we only answered them briefly because mm. the question was of the, tell me the answer to life, the universe and everything nature. Mm, mm, mm. So... We'll have a quick run through some of those and see how we get on. And I'm sure the debate will expand mm. into life, the universe and, and everything. everything. So which one do you want to start with? Well, the first one was an absolutely excellent question by Paul Turner. Um, and it was a question that I did say does need a long explanation just because it deserves a long explanation. So the question was, um, the kind of profession you are in is very tough. Ain't that the case? And it shows you love it. Do you feel it's harder now in the days of social media or easier to get a break and make a good living from your music? We see a lot of bands making good money as tribute bands. What do you think of bands using other people's songs? Okay, so we've got two questions in one there. The first part, you know, do I think social media makes it harder or easier? Well, I think the days... There's been a complete change in the music industry. So before social media, we're sort of talking early 90s, going back there before it sort of hit. Basically, it was a case of um, you got a record contract or you didn't, and that was it. So me getting my music, you know, in the likes of HMV, which obviously have done, and, you know, seeing your actual physical album there in the shop would not have been possible. I don't think. I may stand corrected if somebody wants to correct me, but I don't think that would have been the case. So it was either you get a record deal or you just don't. So there was no kind of... You could be an independent artist, but the chances of kind of doing what I've done and what most independent artists do now would be exceptionally hard, if not impossible. It's a cold night, I should hold. You tell me the bad news. Okay, so yes, yeah, so back in the day you didn't have a you know, a record contract. You were you were sort of out and pretty much out of the game. So today we got, you know, much more a case of most people stay independent. The people that get signed are generally people that can, you know, yield uh, record companies a lot of money, so appeal to very large mass market, usually a younger age market, um, and also people that have demonstrated already before they get signed that they've got a, quite a, a large following. So there's no kind of artist development. You know, we see a talent, oh, we'll give you a development deal. I don't even know if those exist anymore. Um, so it's kind of, it is completely different. So social media you know, has its good side and it has its very bad side. You've got the fact that you can do everything yourself. 
Um, but basically what happens is you're trying to, as an artist, as an independent artist, replicate what a record company would do with their many minions working for them. So they would have a huge team just dedicated to a certain amount of artists and doing everything for that. So it was quite funny because I was asked by um, a new artist the other day, um, do you respond to every email? Um, and isn't this such a lot of hard work? And I thought, you know, there's, I mean, I, you know, I'm not taking the mic in any which way out of this person. It's a very, very good statement. One, yes, I do reply to every email, every notification, every comment. If I don't, it's because I've missed it and something has gone wrong. 99.9 times out of 10, I'm replying to everything, liking everything, forwarding everything, sharing everything. And that's on every social media platform. That's on Twitter, email, Facebook, my Facebook personal page, the band Facebook page, uh, YouTube, um, Spotify. You have to do a lot of work on that. So is it a lot of work? It's an incredible amount of work. And the trouble is you never feel like you're ever doing enough and you always feel like you're trying to basically catch your own tail and you can never get there. It's like this never-ending sort of demoralizing loop of work that you think, well, am I doing enough all the time? And obviously on social media, the other thing that you get, and I know I'm using this question to pivot off on many different angles, but also on social media as an artist, you get every other artist on social media. Um, so you're constantly in a in a job of, you know, even if you don't want to, everyone else comparing you to what everyone else is doing on, on those platforms and everyone else saying, oh, so-and-so is doing so-and-so, but you're not doing so-and-so. And, and then you see, you know, a lineup for a festival and you're not on it, but so-and-so is on it. And so it's, you know, for many artists, and I know for me, I kind of, it's rare that I look down a Facebook feed anymore. I go on... I deal with what I've got to deal with, the put the notifications, uh, the post replies, posting new posts, comments, etc., and the Facebook group, etc. But it's very rare for me to look down a Facebook feed because you do just end up comparing yourself to everyone else. And the trouble is, it is not a competition. Social media does make it seem like it is and it's not you know you're only competing with yourself that's it at the end of the day if someone else is doing better or worse than you it's no reflection on what you're doing but it's very hard to deal with the influx of information about other artists that social media provides you with, whether you want it or not, it still provides you with it. So you have to be quite astute. It's not that you're being funny and ignoring other artists. It's just that you're trying to basically concentrate on your own stuff and not get distracted and depressed or, you know, jealous even of what other people are doing because it's just a pointless exercise. You know, you're sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind, but the race is long and it's only with yourself. So, you know, the social media aspect of it, you know, the entire music industry has been in flux and in change 
since the invention of social media. You know, it's completely changed the marketplace. Streaming has completely changed the marketplace. But people forget that before streaming, it was YouTube um, that completely changed the music industry. Because you can easily go on YouTube and then download that, you know, that music video and just keep the MP3. You know, so yeah, I know every everyone goes on about how bad streaming is, but YouTube was the first that made music very, very accessible. But saying that, um, streaming and online activity is not going to stop. We're not going to go backwards. There's not suddenly going to be a no social media streaming. You know, I have a... Um, a premium Spotify account, you know, I know most of the people I know do. So I do consume music through that medium. And I think it's important for me to do that. It's accessible. It's always with me all the time. Um, so it's, it's a completely different industry. And then, sorry, Colin, because I'm going on. It's changed the way people consume music. So as I said, this was this is a great question, Paul Turner, and I thank you very much for it. Colin wants to speak. I don't think I should allow him. Go on, Colin. I was just thinking that you, you've put so much into that, and I think some of it's worth unpacking, and I sensed you were just about to... I was about on. to move on onto another, another pivot. Bit, you were, indeed. I was so, pivoting as we spoke. So let's let's just drop back and unpack one or two of those things. Mm-hmm. me? What the what it what the internet is effectively done, and what the development of very cheap software has actually done, is just removed all of the gatekeepers. So look at us; we mm. are, we are sat here using some free on computer software, GarageBand. Okay, a couple of microphones that we've had to buy, and a couple of mic stands, and a doobery to connect it all up. But for what? I don't know, two or three hundred quid, we have got background noise of, of the fridge accepted. I don't want to switch the fridge off. The, uh, uh, the, the, the sort of a, a radio studio, effectively. Yeah, without a doubt. A radio studio. And here we are, you know, discussing Spotify, etc. But that is one of the many media by which this will get out to the world. Mm. So we can sit and have a chat. We can get it out to the world. We could make some music with this if we mm. so wanted. God help you if I got involved with that. But we could make some music. We could record it on GarageBand. We could put it up on Tinterweb and it mm. will be out in the big wide world. Now that it was unthinkable back in the 60s and 70s. But the problem is that has created, as you've so uh, rightly articulated, is that it's just opened the field up to everybody. So I think the statistics, as I remember them, are a million songs a week in the mm. world being written, 40,000 new tracks being uploaded on Spotify every day. 40,000 tracks. Mm. So it is in it is in that context that you've got to try and get noticed in inverted commas and that and that is the battle and that's why you then went on to talk about social media and the role that that plays because it's also then becomes your principal advertising medium. Mm. It's the wrong night to have bad dreams One of the byproducts of this social media syndrome that you've talked about, uh, you know, the, the sort of chasing of, of likes and following and all that kind of thing, and you say looking at you know what other people do, do that, that sort of mood and mindset has created a sort of an industry in inflated 
social media numbers or inflating social media numbers and and it's something that you know you can't blame people for really i think you you were talking about how it's it's possible to be drawn into a concern about you know where you sit in the scheme mm-hmm. of things that can often be exacerbated quite innocently by other people saying oh look at what so and so is doing or have you seen so and so is doing this or have you seen what numbers so and so's got and that and and that in turn further exacerbated occasionally by people like bookers saying well you know how many how many followers have you got on facebook how many uh you know monthly listeners have you got on spotify etc can it's created this industry of quite bluntly people inflating their their social media numbers and we've we've talked about that before and so you you do see many many examples on uh, all of the media twitter facebook instagram um i mean the facebook example is probably the most obvious because i think that sort of started early enough and there was a great enthusiasm Mm. for, for boosting numbers which maybe hasn't quite translated into twitter and probably maybe even less translated into instagram although oh i I think it's a lot on instagram uh, yeah not so much in me i think i mean there's plenty of examples Mm. of it i mean my son speaks about this professionally and he will quote you plenty examples of so-called influencers buying following um, and where and I've seen an example of an artist it, it, who's as I, as I said before, social media, Instagram following went up by five thousand in a day, in a day, as, as Peter Kay would mm. say. And that it, you don't get that through organic growth. But but I think you, you the the downside of that, and you can often see the gap between people with large followings on facebook and very little engagement on the posts. on the posts very you know unless like they've boosted them as well you know. which which you can do and every mm. and, and people do that and should be doing that you know facebook is a business to get the best out of it you've got to pay it some money occasionally you've got there are there's a good way to do that and not so good way to do that but but everybody's got to do that but but the organic reach of your facebook should reflect the numbers of people that are following you and very often that you can see a major disconnect between that but that's really i'm not blaming people that's just the no, byproduct it, of it, this yeah kind of a fascination isn't it for, yeah because you you know they they they're feeling the pinch you know mm-hmm. and it's a desperation and i think social media has created a desperation and you know it's very easy you know i was asked to like somebody's page the other day and i had a look at it it was an artist and they had like thirty thousand likes and yet their individual posts are like two each hmm. so clearly there's a massive <laughs> there's, a, there's an issue there As I'm you were about to pivot onto the way people consume music i think this is yeah. a, a very interesting because point. i mean i don't know about you guys but okay so when I first started listening to music, like um, buying music, say about 11 years old, I think I was. So, you know, ask for my HMV voucher as a Christmas or birthday present. Um, and you'd, it would be, you know, an event, you know, as, as I remember my young self going into HMV, possibly spending a couple of hours deliberating over, okay, is it this CD, that CD, this, you know, for, so, you know, how can I get two or three CDs or what am I going to have to sacrifice and going, you know, an absolute event of the choosing of the music because you couldn't access that music any other way. So, you know, now you can just press a button and you can get any song you want in the world. 
But back then, of course, you couldn't. You'd got radio and you'd got buying the music. So then you take that music home, which is a precious thing. You know, you've waited to get this album, to listen to it. You know, you've only heard it randomly on radio stations. So you take it home. And I remember, you know, I'd play the music whilst reading all the lyrics as I listened to the music. And I'd do that for each CD. Say if I was lucky enough to get two CDs. I'd do that for, you know, I'd spin those CDs three or four times that day. Easy. But not just letting the music wash over me, but actually, again, reading the lyrics, reading all the thank you notes on the cover, like everything, like every little bit, because it was a precious thing. And it's like, but now, for some people, that's still the case, but they are in the minority, I would say. For the majority of people that consume music now, it's something that washes over them. They'll put on a, you know, they'll be thinking, oh, I want some chilled out music. So they'll go onto Spotify or YouTube and type in chill out music. And or, a playlist will come. Or ask Alexa. Or ask Alexa. And a playlist, mu- playlist will come up and they'll just have it on and it'll just be winding away in the background. And again, this isn't the 100% rule, but... Normally, people, even if they hear a song that they really like, won't go and seek out that artist. They'll just, you know, it just won't be a thing that they do. So you can get on a massive Spotify playlist and think, oh, my God, I'm on this massive Spotify playlist with, like, you know, I don't know, 50,000 monthly listeners. But those people aren't necessarily, in the majority, being coming towards you. You're just something that happens in the background. And they're not being driven towards you. They're not going and investigating you. It's the minor the minor people, the minority, that are actually going to come to you through a playlist of that nature. So music has come kind of throwaway, you know, 40,000 songs a day. You know, you can get lost in it. I mean, sometimes I go on Spotify and think, what the hell do I want to listen to? You know, I, d- I don't know. You know, whereas when I had my CDs, I'd just look through my CDs and go, oh, yeah, I really want to listen to that. It's kind of, there's just so much you feel swamped by it. And the quality sometimes is poor. And it's kind of, because there's no gatekeepers, you're kind of awash in this world of, well, you just don't know what to listen to. And it's 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 become a very, very different thing to the thing I grew up with. One of the uh, debates that I see quite a bit on social media, and I saw it again only last week, was from an artist who was uh, lamenting the whole impact of Spotify on their uh, business, if you like. And one of the things that I I can't remember what she said now, I think she'd had something like 18,000 streams and she was looking forward at some point down the track to receiving about 240 quid or something like that for those streams and you know everybody was piling in this is an outrageous outrage, which it is I, I i i kind of get that but then at the other end you know spotify isn't really making any money mm. uh maybe it's not charging enough for this mm. this monthly access to the worldwide repertoire of music but uh, that that's another story but what what when these stories break what they always come back to 
and there's always somebody who says well why do you put your music on there then and it's quite interesting because when i first got involved in this this stuff i went back to a i, I read a business book god help me because i used to do that sort of thing in those those days um <clears throat> called the curve very good book it is curve. a very good book and it talked about uh, you know music and and the rela- the kind of related area of uh, uh, writing book writing in in the modern era and the same as applied there the gatekeepers are gone anybody can can you know my my son wrote his own novelette mm. or novella or whatever they called it and and published it on on Amazon Kindle um you can do it there's no gatekeeper you can do it you can get you can get your stuff out there and very good it was too if i may say so but my point is you know these these similar things apply and the the book really made the point that you've got to kind of accept that that's the world you're now operating in and one way or another if people want to get access to your product free of charge or very cheaply they will do Mm. so the aim for most artists is to actually create a uh, supporter base made up of so-called super fans people who really buy into what they do and who will support them by buying discs, buying merchandise, and coming to their gigs? And it's the the fulcrum of each uh, music business, which is what an, an artist is really in practice, is to try and grow that support base, that narrow band of people who will buy into what you do, um, to be as big as possible. And I may have quoted this on here before. They had a an American group that had produced five albums worth of material in one go. Mm. They put it all on their website for people to download free of charge but they made a five album pack with all sorts of stuff in it lyrics like you were saying of booklets and artwork and goodness knows what 75 dollars a pop Mm. and they sold three quarters of a million dollars worth of it to their super fans Mm. and yet if you just wanted to listen to the music you could go and get it free and that is the world in which we now operate so it's like basically, you know, you can have, you can be a, a musician um, and you can be a music artist, but the levels are now from zero to 10, whereas before they were just 10. You know, <laughs> it's like you can be, you can class yourself as a music artist at whatever level you really are at. There was another point, part to Paul's question, which was we see a lot of bands making good money as tribute bands. What do you think of bands using other people's songs? I think that you mean what do you uh, think of bands using, you know, like songs for tribute purposes? You know what? You know, if they're making money at it, they're incredibly popular. You know, they're, in, what, you know... <laughs> we, the we, bums on seats don't lie, do they? Well, so well, they don't. I mean, we did a gig in Sheffield as a support to somebody, and we we had to circumstances put us in a dressing room in a like a three venue, mm. you know, three part venue, and we had to walk through a gathering crowd of a thousand people to watch the Smiths spell tribute. with a Y tribute. <laughs> Um, to go and perform in front of about 100 people who'd come for the original acts in a yeah. different part of the venue. Because people, I guess, you know, they, they want to... The majority of people don't look at new music and they want to hear things that they know and they want a guarantee of of their night out. So it's like, oh, I know that person's music. We want to see a live act. We'll go and see that. 
I mean, I would. I, don't, I doubt if I'd ever do a tribute act. Well, to be honest, I don't really sound like anyone. Um, and I just, I would feel kind of, I don't know. I don't, I've never ever, and I've talked about this before, as soon as I started to learn the guitar, and I was very, very young, the only thing I ever wanted to do was write my own songs. So for me, I mean, I, you know, you do love throwing the odd cover in. Of course you do. It's fun. But for me, it's just that's never what it's been about. You know, at the end of the day, you know, tribute bands, I guess, are keeping a lot of live venues going. So well, I guess, you know, peace and love and the best of luck to you. <laughs> segue from something you said in the last answer to the last question we had a question from uh jane ellen avery all the way from north carolina in the good old united states Yay. of america and who said in the course of the gig the other night uh, how long had you been playing the guitar i don't think she meant sort of 20 minutes at that point <laughs> I mean, I well hello north carolina um since I was about, you know, I do get confused about times, dates, the universe, the world. Um, I was about 12 when I actually started getting proper lessons. So, you know, a couple of years. A couple of years. Nah, <laughs> a few years since the age of 12. So a fair amount of time. But I never wanted to learn the guitar for soloing, for lead guitar. I only ever wanted it to write songs circumstances have pushed you into <laughs> doing the soloing okay so let's pick up another one from the uh, feed the other night um from craig fisher would you consider doing an album of all the covers you are doing on these streamed shows i mean i've um i don't think i don't know probably not i don't know but never say never. I think me and um, Steve have been talking a lot about some of the cover songs that I've been doing on the streams. And potentially we will try and change some of the covers in the set to accommodate maybe some new stuff. I don't know about an album of that, as I say, because it's not really... I think we might put a, co a cover on an album, but I think to do an entire album of that is not really, as I said, what I'm about. And I know it's not what Steve's about. No, I think, uh, you know, the main purpose is the original music. The covers fulfil a role. Uh, they entertain people. They give people a, a, a benchmark to, you know, particularly new people coming to gigs. They give you a sort of a benchmark against which to assess you. But the economics, I can tell you, for an independent act of doing such an album... Um, wouldn't be particularly encouraging. Uh, You've got to buy a lot of licenses. You've got to buy the licenses. You've got to pay for them. You know, putting out an album is still an expensive business, even if you do it, uh, you know, as, as cheaply as you possibly can. If you're going to do it properly and you're going to back it with the right promotion, you're still looking at several thousand pounds. And it's, I think it's quite debatable whether we'd get that back. But as you say, never, never say never. Never say never. And... Um Going slightly back to the tribute question in relation to cover songs, I've always thought maybe I'd make more money if I was a tribute to Rebecca Downs. Just the word tribute. Maybe, you know, maybe they'd suddenly just see the word tribute, forget about what it's about, and people would just flock, thinking, oh. The most authentic Rebecca yeah. Downs tribute on the circuit. 
depends which Rebecca Downs they would usually paying tribute to. I don't to. know, you know, who, you know, which Rebecca Downs, any you, one well of them. You'd have to have a range of hairstyles, you know. On I wigs. could buy a curly wig from back in the day. Oh, yeah. Don't bother me. Buy another leopard print coat. Yeah, come in, on, we can do this. Back in business. Okay, I've got two more questions from the stream the other night, uh, both from Julian Smith. The, the first was, will you be doing an acoustic part to your sets in the future? Uh, we'd struggle to fit the guitars in the van, but I will. I will allow the artistic answer. Yeah, to come the, there is a logistic elements with that because you know that we barely, and I do mean barely, by you know Colin basically performing Jenga in the back of the van, fitting, and that's the, with merch and amps and drums. So to fit in another, because we'd probably need three acoustic guitars. So that's going to, um, we would probably, I would definitely love to do the acoustic shows again as a full acoustic show, because I think there's a completely different vibe between the acoustic and the electric. And to switch from one to the other during a set sometimes kind of can be a bit awkward uh, for the audience as well. Uh, depending on the venue. So to tailor a venue to either electric or acoustic performance, I think is quite important. So we're definitely looking to do more acoustic shows again because we just love to do them. Okay. And there's another part to his question, which was, do, do you think these live streams will make you rethink your live set at all? Um, I think we were already rethinking the live set because you generally do that anyway. Um Definitely cover-wise, you know, the covers that we're known for, obviously we're not going to just ditch them, but I would really like to kind of keep things updated. Uh, with some of the new songs, we'd like to bring in ones that we haven't played live before um, or haven't played live a lot before. Um, so there's like that aspect to it. Uh, so the, shit, the set as well can sometimes change depending on, you know, what kind of, gig it is whether it's like a rock festival or whether it's you know it can change dependent on what we think you know the audience is gonna go for uh, out of our repertoire so yeah it's always changing um i do have a last question from lloyd allen um, what do the band do apart from playing the band together, i.e. jobs? Uh, well, I'm a vocal coach and have been for many, many years now. Um, and I do that for universities, colleges, um, and privately, although it's certainly not a full-time job because I couldn't have a full-time job and do this. I'd probably be dead. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um uh, Steve is a full-time musician. He used to be head of music at a secondary school in Birmingham. Um, and he's been in bands and writing music all his life, as you probably know. Uh, Vince Chenzo Bianco, Vince John Yarrington, our bass player, has got his own business. What is it now? He, he designs uh, restaurants, uh, food outlets, etc., that may be understating what he does. I'm still yeah, and determined. He's very, successful. he's very successful. I'm determined to get Vince on one of these podcasts. He keeps swerving it, but um, if he feels shortchanged by my answer, Vince, get your backside yeah. onto the end of a Zoom, and we'll get, we'll capture the real version and get it out on a, on a future podcast episode. But that is the area in which he which he works. Yeah, he's very successful and very very hardworking. I'll tell you that much. 
Um, Neil Ablard, a drummer, a new drummer. He is. He has a print. Uh, it's called Solo Signs. Uh, his own printing business, and he's been in bands. Oh God, well, like me forever on a day. Um, and he's works very very hard, and he's a. This looks like a business that's going from strength to strength. Um, Nigel Dorville is now retired. He used to work uh, as a lecturer in music at a college in Birmingham. And he's also, as you know, toured with major international artists all the way through his life. Um, but definitely loves his retirement, I think. Um, Aidan Goldstraw, who's some, who plays keys and piano with us, alongside us, uh, with when Nigel or when they switch teams, um, and he does what he writes for. I know he used to work for a newspaper. He's like a journalist, and now he writes for uh, a company magazine, a company sort of online brochure thing. Yeah, in house magazine. Yeah, in house so magazine. Like he edits and writes. He's also into uh, photography, filming. Mm. He's got his own YouTube channel. He's got two YouTube channels: a music channel. And a one for his his private interests, which include railways, I believe. He's a very busy He's boy. got a drone, as our Aiden. Oh, so he loves drones. Uh, well, yeah, there there will come a point where that drone may well be employed. We want to steal your drone. In a Rebecca Downs music video. We want to steal your drone. Twinkle we in the eye for drone. that. And uh, yeah, that's it, really. So we're you know, we're all trying to kind of make money. Can I just say on that note? That it was quite funny once because we were, this is a few years ago, asked to perform at a festival, you know. This is going actually right back in the day at the very start. So we were asked to perform at a festival, pretty good one, um, by email. Um, but there would be, you know, we can't pay you because, you know, we don't, you know, we can't afford it. We've got, we've paid out on the headline acts and we can't afford it, but it's great exposure and there's loads of people there, which actually they're not lying. There was, you know, a fair few people there. So back in the day, as I say, at the very back, this might be like eight years ago, seven years ago. Um, we said, oh, all right, then we'll take a punt on this and we'll go along. But anyway, so we said, yes, we answered in the affirmative to the email, um, and then he and then he sort of gave us a time slot, which you know, I said, well, can we have a different late, slightly later time slot, please? Because people will have jobs, and they'll be either trying to get into work in the morning, and you know, it was a long way down the country, so we're going to have to travel. And this man replied to me with, oh, I didn't realise you'd all have to have jobs as well. And you just think, dude, you've just offered me a gig with no money. Like, what do you think I'm doing to, like, buy food with? Am I eating air? <laughs> like, come on, brother, grow up. So anyway, <laughs> there you go. People who don't pay you any money expect you not to have a job. Well, if we get into the finances of the music business, we'll be here, oh, we'll be here all day. We'll be here all day, be here for another, another 40 minutes. So... Let me finish with one final question for you, which mm -hmm. is really around the live streams. We've done a number now, including four under the downstream uh, label. Mm. Um, what what are the plans looking ahead? Because I know you've been talking to Steve about this. No, Mr. Burkett. Mr. Mm. Burkett. Uh, yeah, me and Steve have been talking because obviously um, things have opened out a little bit. You can form bubbles <laughs> with uh, different people. Um, so me and Steve are going to 
Um, possibly do a show between us that would be very much like the Pizza Express show. Um, but because of the confines of two meters, being two meters apart, etc., well, even one meter apart, uh, we're going to confine it to the two of us at the moment. And maybe when things change a little bit, we'd love to get other members of the band involved. But we need to um, obviously make sure the sound is top quality as best we can, and and all that kind of thing. So we're going. It's not going to be like one of the streams I I've been doing. It would be. You know, those have been a bit of a laugh and it's been a good, it's been good, you know, to just try and connect with you guys. But this is going to be, you know, mixed sound, you know, um, and a a full kind of acoustic set. Also, I hope if we can do it through another streaming medium, we can actually have interaction from you guys. So if we did it on Zoom or other platforms where you guys can actually cheer hopefully, uh, when we end the songs. And you can actually ask us, ask us questions and we can actually interact with you like it actually would be at a real gig, which would be brilliant. But I didn't feel able to offer anything more than what I've been offering so far without Steve on board. So uh, now that we've managed to kind of close that gap, hopefully that'll be soon. Yeah, I, the challenges of this are... Uh, several really uh, uh, we've seen many examples I think of people trying to do various live things I'm not just talking about in the music business where it's fallen over badly because the broadband's collapsed um, you are horribly horribly reliant on good broadband where <coughs> Rebecca's been doing her streams from there is very good broadband but it's not a particularly conducive environment to performance mm. it's a living room basically so it has excellent broadband, big ticking box, uh, acoustics and setting. Le- Not less that so. great. Not <laughs> so great. Attempting to go elsewhere, you run into compromises. You might get a better performance environment. You, you probably won't have such good broadband. Um, and so we're bridging the gap. Yeah, it's trying to find the right compromise. But we're working on something and hope to come forward with something soon, which will be a little bit different and will involve the both of them. Rebecca, thank you for that. Uh, I hope that's met the needs of those people who put the questions forward, but undoubtedly, if not, they'll be back at us with for further and better particulars. Sure thing. But thank you for. Thank you so much for the questions, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. It was great to get them. Great to get the interaction. So thank you very much for today, and we look forward to seeing you again, talking to you again soon. Yeah. Bye bye, and stay safe, everyone. And it's making me cool. Thank you for listening to Downs Your Way. As usual, there's a merchandise discount code, and this episode's code is BEC, all in capitals, B-E-C-K. If you put that in at the appropriate point in the checkout process at rebeccadowns.com, you will receive a 10% discount on all items purchased. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to being back with you soon.